0: All good things must come to an end, and today we are closing out our three-part sermon series that we've entitled Mythbusters, Lies We Tell Ourselves About the Church. And so in these messages, we have taken the lead from the popular TV show Mythbusters, uh, which, as a lot of you know, was on the Discovery Channel for a whole bunch of years, for almost 20 years. Um, On that TV show, what the hosts would do is they would take scientific myths, and then in a controlled environment, they would try to bust the myths in order to find out the truth. Now, we have not been busting scientific myths on this sermon series. Uh, science was never my strong subject when I was in school. But we have been busting several major lies, several big lies that we as Christians tell ourselves about the church. And so the first major lie that we busted is this notion that I don't need the church, that the church is somehow optional if I'm a follower of Jesus. And we made clear in that sermon that the church is not optional. That once we choose to follow Jesus, once we give our lives over to Jesus, uh, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, we automatically become grafted into this community of believers called church. And we need this community of believers. We need this community of believers for a whole bunch of reasons, but there were two reasons that we highlighted in that sermon. Number one, we need them because God made us for community. Uh, Community is a part of our DNA. And God uses the people of the church, as imperfect and broken as they are, to fill that void for community and then also to mold us and shape us and spiritually transform us, help us in our journey of following Jesus in this world. And then we need the church number two so that all of us together, not all of us separately, not all of us individually, but so that all of us together can fulfill the mission of Jesus in this world. So that was the first message. And then the second message we busted this lie that the church is about me. And it's common for us to believe this lie because of the consumer culture in which we live. Consumerism is just the air that we breathe, it's the water that we drink. Um, In consumerism, everything is centered around us and our needs. And so oftentimes when we join a local church like Asbury, we don't do so because we're passionate and excited about helping that particular church fulfill its mission Instead, we do so out of the expectation that our quote-unquote needs are going to be met. The music is going to be what we like. The message is going to be what we want to hear. The programs are going to be the things that we're interested in. And it's painfully ironic that this is what church has become in the 21st century, because that's not what the church was historically, and it runs against everything that the Bible teaches about our faith. Christianity is not about meeting our needs or what we think are our needs. Christianity is about putting down our needs, laying aside our needs, living for God and living for our neighbor. And so instead of taking on a consumerist approach to church, what we need to take on as Christ followers is a missional approach to church, recognizing that everything we do here in this building is not ultimately for us. Instead, it's for the people who aren't yet here so they can have an encounter with the living God. And so just to recap, those are the two lies that we've busted. I don't need the church. The church is about me. And so the lie that we're going to bust today as we close out this message series is this. Let's say this together. It's enough just to go to church. It's enough just to go to church. And if we notice, I put those words, go to, in quotation marks, because if we think about it, even that phrase, go to church, is inappropriate. Doesn't make any sense. The church is not a place that we go to. The church is a community that we're a part of. Uh, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word for church that we find in the New Testament is ekklesia. Ekklesia. Now, ekklesia derives from two Greek words. Ek, which means out of, and then kaleo, which means the call. Ek and kaleo. And so when we take those two words, ek and kaleo, and we put them together, we get ekklesia. And ekklesia in English literally means Called out community. An ecclesia is a community of people who have been called out for a purpose. Now, when this word was first being used 2,000 years ago, the Greco-Roman world, uh, that purpose was typically a military purpose, a political purpose. Think of a soldier fighting in a war. But then as that word ekklesia became associated with Christianity, the purpose changed. The purpose is to worship Jesus, follow Jesus, and join Jesus on mission in the world. And so since the word church refers to a community of people, it makes no sense to say, I go to church, or you go to church, because you don't go to a community. You're a part of a community. You're a member of a community. When I finished high school and I went off to college for the first time, um, I had a hard time adjusting when I initially went to campus. I was 18 years old. It was my first time living away from home. And so, of course, the uh, first couple of weeks I was there, I was starting to get homesick. And then most of my friends at that point in my life had come from my high school youth group. I was pretty involved in youth group when I was in high school. But the vast majority of those students from my youth group ended up going to college at the University of North Florida in Jacksonville. I was the only person among my circle of friends who went to college at Florida Southern in Lakeland. So I remember... The first two weeks or so I was there, I called my mom on the phone, and I was upset, and I said, you know, Mom, I don't seem to have any friends here. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I should have gone to college at UNF like everybody else did. I probably shouldn't have gone to Florida Southern. And my mom listened to me, as she always did, and then she reassured me. She said, Christopher, my mom always called me Christopher. uh, She said, Christopher, listen, it's only been a couple of weeks. You got to give it time. Pretty soon, you're going to find that core group of friends. I just know it. And sure enough, my mom was right. Moms tend to be right, don't they? Amen. Uh, I found that core group of friends, and that core group of friends, about five or six of us, we became our own community. I mean, we we studied together, we went out to eat together, uh, we went to the movies together, we had fun together, we were supportive of each other, we were there for each other. It doesn't make any sense to say that you go to a community, you're part of a community. And those of us who worship Jesus, those of us who follow Jesus, those of us who take on the name Christ follower, we are part of the ecclesia, the community called church. But let's be clear about something else. The church isn't just a community. The church is a movement. Uh, When I hear that word movement, uh, the picture that comes to mind for me, one of my favorite subjects, not science, it's history, uh, the picture that comes to mind for me is the civil rights movement. Um, which was that period in our nation's history uh, when African Americans and their white supporters came together to do something about inequality and injustice and discrimination to make sure that all God's people, regardless of the color of their skin, are treated equally under the law. And that led to protests and marches and sit-ins. we got a picture up here on the screen. This is from the March on Selma, which happened in 1965. You see uh, Dr. King, his wife Coretta there, um, up in the front. And this is actually the vision that Jesus had in mind when he started the church 2,000 years ago, that the church would be a movement, not a spiritual country club, not an inwardly focused organization, but a body of people empowered by the Holy Spirit moved to action. Folks, if we think about it, Jesus was always on the move throughout his ministry. Jesus was always on the move. He hardly ever stayed in one place he was itinerant, wasn't he? He was always going to the broken. He was always going to the hurting. He was always going to the suffering to those who needed him. Think about the Samaritan woman that Jesus went to at the well in John chapter four, how he offered to her living water. Think about Zacchaeus, the broken tax collector whom everybody despised. He was up in that sycamore fig tree not just because he wanted to see Jesus. He was probably also up in that sycamore fig tree so he didn't have to be in the crowd that day because that crowd could have killed him, right? Uh, Knowing what he did as a tax collector, how he was corrupt and stole money from so many folks, but Jesus went to him, offered to him salvation. Jesus was always moving toward those who needed him, and Jesus expects the church, his body in the world, because what's the predominant metaphor for church in the New Testament? the body of Christ, that we are Jesus in this world, he expects the church, his body, and the world to do the same thing. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus made it crystal clear to the disciples that the church was to be on the move. Uh, When Jesus did this, he took the disciples one day on a field trip. Remember going on field trips when you were a kid? Your teacher would bring you there? Well, of course, Jesus was a teacher, so occasionally he would bring his followers on field trips. One day, he took them to this place called Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi. Now what's important to know, Caesarea Philippi is in the northern part of Galilee. Caesarea Philippi in the ancient world was a Greco-Roman city. And basically what that meant was, the vast majority of the people who lived in Caesarea Philippi were not Jewish. They were not Israelites by background, which meant that they were not worshipers, they were not followers of the God of Israel, in fact, Caesarea Philippi was a hot spot for pagan worship, uh, the worship of false idols. In fact, there was a temple in Caesarea Philippi in Jesus' day that was dedicated to the Greek god Pan, P-A-N. And the people would make sacrifices, and they would worship Pan in that location. And before they would worship Pan, uh, they would worship Baal. B-A-A-L. You ever heard about Baal before? Uh, a God mentioned in the Old Testament, he would also be worshiped in that same spot earlier. And what's interesting is, this location where Pan was worshiped, where Baal was worshiped beforehand, in Caesarea Philippi, it was located in front of a cave. We've got a picture of the cave up here on the screen. In Jesus' day, this cave had a name. Anybody know what it was called? What's that? No, that was actually, I think, the cave where David hid as he was running away from Saul. But that's that's good. It was called the Gates of Hell or the Gates of Hades. And the reason was the water in the cave ran so deep that it was thought to be a portal into hell. There was actually stories that Baal would go into the cave and that's how he would get into the underworld. And it was in this spot that Jesus used the word church for the very first time. So with that context in mind, take a listen to these words. This is Matthew 16, uh, verses 13 through 18. Uh, This is from the New Revised Standard Version of Scripture. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, again this Greco-Roman city, the vast majority of the people who live here, they're not worshipers of God. So he came into this district. He asked his disciples, the 12 disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, Son of Man was a title that Jesus used in reference to himself. Uh, It's taken from the Old Testament book of Daniel. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? He lost his head. He was the forerunner of Jesus. Uh, Some say John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, "'You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God.' And Jesus answered him, "'Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood,' in other words, human beings, have not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock,' let's read this next part together, "'I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not prevail against it. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church.'" Jesus spoke in Aramaic, but the Greek word here is ekklesia, my church, and the gates of Hades, hell, will not prevail against it. Now, by taking the disciples on this field trip to Caesarea Philippi, in this spot where Pan was worshipped, where Baal was worshipped beforehand, and using the word church for the first time, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is visually demonstrating what the church is to be. That the church is to be a movement of people that won't stay locked in one place, but instead will storm into hell. That will go to places like Caesarea Philippi, where people by and large aren't worshiping God. They're not following God. And they will proclaim the message of Jesus to those folks. That's why Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? Because Jesus wants the disciples to be crystal clear about his identity in the midst of all this false worship. Because he is charging them with the task, the assignment, of leading this movement of people that will move to bring others to Jesus. Folks, have we lost this image of the church? We don't see the church anymore as a movement, do we? Instead, we see the church as a place that we go to once a week, maybe twice a month, once a month, maybe less than that. We come into the room. We see our friends. We drink some coffee. We hear some music. Hopefully, the sermon keeps us awake. And then we go home as if nothing's different. Nothing's changed. Nothing transformational has happened. And then we come back the next time that we're here, and we do the same thing all over again. We're just going through the motions. Now don't mishear what I'm saying. I'm not trying to downplay what we do here on Sunday mornings because what we do here on Sunday mornings is critically important, it's vitally important. But what we do here on Sunday mornings as we gather for worship is not actually the church. You and I are the church. The people are the church. The community is the church. And what we do here on Sunday mornings as we gather for worship is not an end in itself. It's not something that we check off on a to-do list. Okay, I went to a church service this week. Instead, what we do here on Sunday mornings is a means to an end. It's designed to empower us and to equip us so that we can get out of this building and we can go out and we can serve God in this world. We can move to the people who don't know Jesus in a personal way. We will move to bring others to Jesus. But far too often, local churches forget this. They forget about the community outside their doors. They forget about the people that they're called to reach. And so instead of being a movement of people, you know what they end up becoming? A museum. Do museums go anywhere? No. Museums stay locked in one place. Museums are a representation Of the way things were in the past and we have far too many local churches that look more like museums than they do movements nothing ever changes everything stays the same and no risks are ever taken to reach new people pastor barber you ever been in a church like that Um, the great 20th century preacher fred craddock taught at um um, Candler School of Theology for a number of years. He passed away some years ago. When he finished seminary, he was sent to pastor a church near Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Uh, the church was in a pretty rural area, but despite the fact that it was rural, the community around them was actually exploding with growth, especially with construction workers who had been sent by the county to develop the area, put the infrastructure in place. So one Sunday morning after worship, Craddock called a meeting of all the leaders and he told them about these construction workers, and he said, well, what are we gonna do to reach these folks? And then some guy raised his hand and he said, hey, preacher, I know you have good intentions here, but what you're talking about, is was a waste of time. Come on, they're only gonna be here temporarily. They're just passing through. Why are we focusing on that? Why are we putting our energy toward that? And then everybody started to nod their heads and agree. And, and Craddock said, please, 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 reconsider what you're saying. I mean, Jesus has charged us with the task of reaching people. These are the people that he sent to us. we got to go reach them. And then he said, before we make any decisions today, I want us to all pray about this over the next week. Everybody said they would. So a week went by. Next Sunday morning, they had another meeting. Before Craddock could even say anything, a guy raised his hand, and he said, I move that in order to be a member of the church, you have to own property in the county. Somebody said, I second that motion. There was some discussion, and then it passed. Craddock was discouraged. A short time later, he left to go take on a teaching job. And then one time, he was back in that area for a conference. He was with his wife, and he said, I want to stop by. I want to see what's become of that church. So they pulled into the parking lot, it was full. There were cars, there were motorcycles, there were trucks. And then there was a sign that said, barbecue, all you can eat. So he went inside this barbecue restaurant, that's what the church had become. He saw the organ pushed against the wall, there were pews lining in the wall, and the restaurant was full of people, different races, people speaking different languages, it was so diverse. And as they were waiting for their food, Craddock said to his wife, it's a really good thing that this place is a restaurant now. Because otherwise, if the leadership had their way, most of these people wouldn't be able to be here. That church had become a museum instead of a movement. And we have far too many local churches that have become like that. And I thank God that we at Asbury, that we don't seem to be caught up in that kind of thinking. Because ever since I arrived at this congregation 10 and a half months ago, I've met so many folks here who want nothing more than to see Asbury grow, than to see Asbury make a difference in the world, than to see Asbury reach more and more people for Jesus Christ. But folks, here's the deal. Even though all of us might be on board with the idea of Asbury growing, here's the question we have to ask ourselves. What are we doing to contribute to this growth? It's one thing to say, I want Asbury to grow. Now, Pastor Chris, you make it happen. Or Pastor Will, you make it happen. Or Chris Kovic, you make it happen. It's a whole other thing to say, I'm going to step up to the plate, and by the grace of the Lord, I'm going to play a role in this growth. What are we doing to ensure that Asbury remains a movement instead of a museum? I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. He compares the church to a human body, as we've already said. And in that passage, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says that if one part of the body suffers, then the rest of the body suffers. I think Paul would also agree that if one part of the body isn't moving, then it's difficult for the rest of the body to move. You've been there before, your leg falls asleep, it's hard for the rest of your body to move. (laughs) So I'm wondering, are you moving with us at Asbury? Are you moving? You move with us every time you pray for our church. How often do you pray for our church? Do you get up out of bed in the morning, fall on your knees, and say, God, I pray for Asbury. Please bless Asbury's ministry. Please send to Asbury the people that nobody else wants. You move with us every time you attend a service here. Every time you, you, you carve out time so that you can show up and you can worship God in this place, recognizing that the formation we receive here in worship is designed to equip us to get out of this room. You move with us every time you financially give. Every time you carve out a portion of your income to make ministry happen here by the grace of God. You move with us every time you serve, every time you volunteer, every time you help out at one of our big events like the fall festival we had a couple of weeks ago or the rummage sale we had this last week or one of our community events in downtown Mayland. If you want to learn more about that, talk to Cindy. You move with us every time you invite somebody without a church family to worship so that person can recognize their worth and their value in Christ through a true identity as a child of God. You move with us every time you say to God, God, I'm gonna give more and more of myself to this church family because I believe so fervently and so passionately in the kingdom work that you are accomplishing here. You are literally using Asbury to change the world. Folks, this world needs to be changed, doesn't it? Watch the news. There's a lot of brokenness, hurt, poverty, racism, sexism. And yet when we become the movement of God, when we move to bring others to Jesus Christ, suddenly the kingdom breaks in. That darkness disappears. And God's light shines forward. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote the book Treasure Island, along with a lot of other great books, Um, Robert Louis Stevenson uh, grew up as a boy in Edinburgh, Scotland. And this was in the 1800s, before the invention of electricity. And so at nighttime, when it would get dark outside, the street lights wouldn't come on automatically, like they do now. Instead, they had to be lit by a lamplighter. You ever heard of a lamplighter? The old lamplighter. So basically what would happen is the person would walk down the street, he would have his ladder, he would plant the ladder next to the lamp, He would walk up the ladder, and then he would turn on the gas lamp. He'd come back down. He'd do the same thing all over again until finally all the lamps were lit. Well, as a young boy, Stevenson would love to watch the lamplighter at work. And so one evening, he was looking out the window. He was seeing this guy and what he was doing. His dad comes in the room. He can't see what his son is looking at. And he says, Robert, what are you watching with such fascination out there? And he said, Dad, you see this guy? You see what he's doing? He's punching holes in the darkness. That's what happens when we become the movement of God, the movement that Jesus intends. We punch holes in the darkness, and we allow other people to experience the light of God's salvation in Christ. So folks, by God's grace, let's punch some holes. We've got work to do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray together. God, help us to punch holes. Help all of us to move with Asbury, to devote ourselves, not some of who we are, not most of who we are, but all of who we are, to the kingdom work that you are accomplishing and that you want to continue to accomplish through this congregation. Please use Asbury in such ways that this world might be changed, this world that you so deeply love. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.